Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather in person and online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. You can get an audio-only version of this uh, service on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All you have to do is search Faith on Hill. Uh, Video versions are available on our website, faithonhill.com, and on our Facebook page. And you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. We are at Faith on Hill. If you are online with us this morning on Facebook, I would also invite you to share this video um, and and spread the word of God around on social media. As far as things going on, uh, we are having church in person out in our field. So right next to our building, we have a field and uh, we're setting up pop-up tents for shade. And you bring a lawn chair, bring a a beach blanket, and we're having uh, worship and Bible study outside enjoying the weather. Now, we are also collecting food donations for Wichita Family Center. And if you would like, you can reach out and message us through Facebook, or you can email me, Adam, at faithonhill.com. And uh, we can arrange a time for you to drop off food donations if you would like to as well. If you have a Bible... We're going to be in the book of Genesis, and we will be starting in Genesis chapter 6 this morning. We're taking a pause for one more week, and then next week we'll get back in our study of 1 John. All right, so open the Bibles to the book of Genesis, and let's study God's Word together. Hey, well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Uh, like I said, we're taking a pause from our study through the book of 1 John. We're going to get back into that next Sunday. But this Sunday, in person, our friend Bob Middleton is sharing with the church. And so I want to share some thoughts from the book of Genesis. And we're going to talk about Noah. He's a pretty well-known figure. There's some people in the Bible, because as our society grows more and more biblically Uh, unaware, you have to kind of explain who this person is. But everybody's heard of Noah, it seems like. People have heard of Noah and the ark. Now they have a really, I would say, skewed view of Noah and the ark. You know, many people think of these, even non-Christian, non-religious people, you know, they might have a little Noah and the ark toy for their their toddler, right? And it's all cute and adorable and and all of the animals look happy and the giraffe is sticking his head out the window and you can see the elephant's trunk and Noah's there with his family and he's got a smile on his face. That's not how this story goes. It's also one of the most controversial stories in the Bible in our modern day. The idea that God destroyed everything except one family and the entire earth was covered with water. If you walked into any university, any scientific forum or symposium, you'd be laughed out. No one would listen to you. Here's my take on the book of Genesis when it comes to all of that. I believe that God literally created the world in six days. I believe that there was a worldwide flood. Do I believe that that is the only interpretation of the scripture? 
No, I don't. It's the one that I believe is best. But does that mean that I believe that you cannot be a Christian if you don't believe the same things I do about the book of Genesis? No. And I think that there is a lot of conversation that can happen. And even for somebody like me, who takes a more traditional view of the scripture, I have a lot of questions. Here's, here's a truthful fact. I actually have very little problem with the first few chapters of Genesis. God creating a world fully formed in a universe fully formed in six literal days. He could have done it in one second had he wanted to. I don't have a problem believing that God created. In fact, I'll be quite honest, my problems with Darwinian evolution are based not on my faith. I don't believe that you have to uh, hold a traditional or an extreme literalist view of Genesis to be a Christian. So my issues aren't with my faith. My issues are with the science. But I'll admit that of all the places in the Bible, even Jonah, because did you read the story? This happened a couple of weeks ago. A guy was diving for lobster off the coast of Maine and he was swallowed by a whale. That happened just a month ago. The story in the Bible that I personally have the hardest time believing is Noah. There's a lot of reasons for that. I don't want to get into it. Some of it has to do with shipbuilding and I don't even think I could explain it well. The last year and a half has been time of uncertainty, has been time of not knowing what's going to happen next. I remember, uh, you know, April and May 2020, and it, and it felt like every morning Angie and I would wake up and it was just kind of like damage report. What new thing is going on? What new calamity is happening? All kinds of unanswered questions. And yet... We walk forward by faith. I think sometimes the reason Christians have a hard time operating as Christians in 2021 is because we feel like we have to have all of the answers. But the truth is that almost never happens. Think about this. Genesis chapter 6. Then the Lord said, verse 3, so I'll start in verse one. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. What does that mean? That's highly debated and I'm not going to get into it. Verse three, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Now, I have heard this teaching, and maybe you have too. Some have said that from this point on, God pronounced a limit on the ages of humanity, and that's why people don't live as long as they used to, that there was some curse put on humans. That's not actually what's being said here. Certainly humans lived a shorter amount of time from the flood onwards, according to the biblical record. But I don't believe that's what's being said. I actually think what's being said is God saying, They've got 120 years before I'm done, before there's no turning back, before there's no repentance. I can't prove it, but I have a strong, strong suspicion that God let people know there's only so much time left. You guys have this long 
to turn from your wicked ways. And all of us have a limited amount of time. 100% of people die. Nobody makes it out alive. God gives people the chance over and over and over again. And then there comes a point. And some people, I, I think it's possible that some people's point happens before they die. I can't, I can't prove it. It's just a hunch. But I do think there, there are people who go so far down the rabbit hole of wickedness and sin and rebellion that they harden their hearts so much that long before they draw their final breath, they have spiritually gone past a point of no return. But I think what God is saying is, in 120 years, I'm going to send the judgment. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Again, what does that mean? Don't have time for that. If you have a question about what that means, email me, adam at faithonhill.com. Happy to talk about it. Verse 5, then the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. And it feels that way sometimes today, doesn't it? It's like we, we get bored with the normal kind of evil, so we look for new evil to invent. The depth of the wickedness of people seems to know no bound. It says the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Now, there is a problem that we have. We have to use human words to describe God who is so far beyond us. Does God make mistakes? You know, he created humanity and then all of a sudden everything goes south and it's just nothing but sin and, and wickedness. And you can imagine when it says that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. You can imagine that everything that you can think of was happening. You can imagine that there was rampant child abuse, that there was rampant slaving and, and enslavement, that there was rampant violence, that there was rampant um, corruption, all of those things. I have no doubt that all of those things are true. It says the Lord regretted that he had made the human beings. I don't think that God was surprised by any of this. No, I, I think what we're seeing is that this is the moment he decides to act. This was the appropriate time. This is the time where he says, it troubles and it breaks my heart so much. I, I created you. I gave you this world. I did all of these things even after the fall, even after humanity was expelled from the Garden of Eden. God still interacted with people. God still provided for people. He says, after all of these things that I've done, and it's nothing but wickedness. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move on the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We don't 100% know what it was that triggered this. Why was it that God had to destroy the entire human race? Don't know. Let me go back to what I said earlier. This is the story I have the hardest time with. And we don't know what triggered this moment. What was it that said this far and no further? We don't know. 
yet something was going on. If you're not okay with mystery in your faith, you're going to have a hard time as a Christian. And a lot of people have a hard time as a Christian because of this. And one of two things happen. Either they cannot handle the mystery, the mysterious parts of our faith, and so they walk away from it. They say, if I can't have all the answers, then I will walk away. Or they, they look to find a way to make the answers palatable, acceptable. And there are people who will say, um, well, this is what it means because this, and they will try to limit the mysterious things. Everything in their mind has to have an answer. Yet the Bible doesn't always give us an answer. We're not told. We have some implications. We have some possibilities. You know, whatever this thing is with the Nephilim, does that have something to do with it? Uh, whatever, is there some other thing that's going on? Um, we don't know. And if you're not okay with some mystery, and that's what I came to with Noah. I have questions. But just because I have questions, just because I have things that are unknown, it doesn't mean that I need to doubt. There are churches and Christians and Christian traditions and tribes and so on who hate anything that smacks of doubt. And if, if you sound like you are questioning something, you're gone. That must be hidden. It must be stamped out. It must be taken away. There are others who seem to revel in constant doubt, who seem to love nothing more than uncertainty. And I don't believe that either extreme is right. I have great certainty in the love that God has for me. I have an extreme amount of faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Just because I have things that are unknown, just because I have questions that are unanswered, it doesn't mean that I need to then abandon my faith, nor does it mean that I need to somehow put all of those unanswered questions away in a lockbox where nobody can see them. I think the right and biblical thing to do is to just walk forward and say, yep, this is something I'm not certain about. Science does this all the time. It's funny, people think there's some big like war between faith and science, and if there is, it's not on my part. But scientists have this all the time, where they don't know all the answers. It doesn't mean they stop studying. Doctors and researchers don't know how to fix something, but they keep looking. I don't stop seeking after Jesus just because there's some part of my faith that I don't understand. Why is it that God allows this to happen to somebody and that not to happen to somebody else? Why is it that this over here, it seems like they're prospering and, and this person over here seems like they're doing everything right and it's nothing but struggle? What's going on? I don't know. And we aren't told all the time. And either you learn to live with a certain amount of mystery in your faith or you will try to do something beyond what God has given us and it'll shipwreck you. There are people who, because they cannot be comfortable with a certain amount of mystery in their faith, they just walk away from it. There are people who, because there is mystery in their faith, they'll say everything must be mysterious, which I don't think is true. And then there are people who will say, 
Anything mysterious must be explained away, must be hidden away. We don't talk about it. Don't ask those questions. All of those things will shipwreck you. If you walk away from your faith, if you leave Jesus, it'll shipwreck you. If you try to take the things that are mysterious and make the things that are certain and clear mysterious, that'll shipwreck you. It's very clear that there is only one way to God. That is through Jesus Christ. It is very clear that women and men must repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. That's very clear in the scripture. And things that are mysterious, you try to hide those things away. And then what happens when you can't hide them anymore, when you're confronted with them and you have no tolerance built up for mystery? So God speaks to Noah says in verse 9 that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, this is something we talk about, right? That people will say, I'm a good person based off of comparing themselves to other people. And that's usually a bad thing because what happens is we start to think better of ourselves. But what the Bible here is saying is, look, compared to everyone else, Noah was functionally perfect. It's not that he was perfect. It's not that he didn't need Jesus because he does and he did. But it was that compared to everybody else, he was the only guy who was walking blameless before the Lord. Now the earth was corrupt in in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people and the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. And this is how you are to build it. And he gives the instructions for how to build it. And then he gives them instructions about what to do once he's built it. Take your wife and your three sons and their three wives, or you know, one wife per son, and bring them inside. And you're to bring two of every kind of animal. And you're to bring seven of the clean animals. And bring them inside. So, you know sheep and and, uh, oxen, the the animals that were used for sacrifice in the temple system. Uh, They were to be brought in terms of sevens. Bring them inside. And you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything, verse 22, just as God commanded him. So he's told to do this big thing, build an ark. And it's got to be big enough to hold all of you now. Does that mean, you know, again, we have this very like uh, picture of the the flood and everything. And it's always based off of these uh, coloring sheets that you got in kids church or uh, storybooks that you give like a two-year-old. And you always see these full-grown animals walking into the ark. Highly unlikely. It makes much more sense, much more sense that you had small animals, that you had um, you know, young animals, maybe just out of being weaned by their mother, you know, that would make far more sense that God would bring those kind of animals to the ark. Um, far more docile as well, a little safer. Uh, you know, there's a difference between a tiger and tiger cubs. You know, I, we watched this Secrets of the Zoo show, which takes place at the Columbus Zoo, and it's on Disney Plus, and my kids love it. And, you know, the, the zookeepers can handle tiger cubs. And tigers, by the way, if you didn't know this, tigers are my favorite animal. I love tigers. If we're at the zoo, I want to see the tigers. 
And they can handle the cubs. They can't handle the mamas. And so I'm guessing that it was, you know, these smaller kind of versions of the animals. But they do this thing, and it took Noah about 100 to 120 years to build the ark. And we have no indication that God spoke to him again. God gave him his initial instructions and then said, get to work. And for over a century, he worked. Sometimes we get a little lost. Again, mystery, uncertainty in our faith. And we say, did God really tell me to do this thing? I always tell people, go back to the last time you know for sure that God was speaking to you and see where you're at based on that. Where you're uncertain, go to where you are certain. And there had to have been times in year 40, in year 73, in year 82, whenever, that you just go, am I really doing the right thing? Now, he probably wasn't building year-round because he had to eat. So he probably was farming his crops. He's tending his, his fields. He's doing these things maybe, uh, you know, that were necessary. But all throughout the year, he's working on this ark and people had to think he was crazy. And then, verse 1, chapter 7, it says, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And then he uh, reminds them and verse four, about the animals they're to bring in. And then in verse 4, God says, Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature that I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now, this is something that gets overlooked. God says, go into the ark. And then in seven days, in seven days, the flood will come. So they, for seven days, were in the ark. For seven days, they got the animals bedded down. For seven days, they had their provisions restored. And by the way, it's very possible as you read the text here that the door of the ark was open. It was open for seven days. They had the chance. The people had the chance to get on the ark. For seven days, the door was open. And I, I can't prove this, but I would not be surprised at all if for seven days, People came by. Maybe, maybe they even went inside to see what was going on. But they didn't stay. Maybe they just looked in and then they left. Friend, I don't know if that's you. Maybe you've been looking in. You've been watching online. You're looking in on the Christian faith. You're looking in on Jesus. You're looking in on what church is all about. Maybe you've even come in, you know, I watch regularly, I, I participate, uh, I've, I've been to a church service in person, or I went to church for many years, and you've been in, but then you just, you're out. Because the ark isn't the church. The church isn't, it's just, you know, there's a building or there's a group of people. But deliverance doesn't come through the church. Deliverance, the church is just the people who are being delivered by Jesus. Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the deliverance. And, and there's this invitation, come in and stay and be saved. And it says in verse 11, or sorry, it says in verse 10 that after seven days, 
the floodwaters came on the earth because there comes a point whether that point is when a person has hardened their heart so much that there is just no turning back, whether that point is the moment of death, whether that point is when Jesus returns and establishes king, his kingdom and judges those who are righteous because of him and those who are wicked through their own actions, whatever that is, there comes an end point. And after seven days, the floodwaters came. In verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. The floodgates of the heaven were opened and the rains fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. And they had with them every kind of wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, and everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living kind, just as God had commanded Noah, and then the Lord shut them in. They didn't even shut the door. It says that God did it for them. There came a point where the mercy of God ceased. Don't mistake God's grace in your life as an endless permission slip. And maybe you have just been walking and wandering and doing whatever you want and living however you want. And you say, you know what? I still see God's blessing. God will forgive me later. It's okay. There, there comes a point where that stops. I know of a man who's a Christian and he's in jail for the rest of his life. And he should be. He murdered two women in California. He had uh, everything you would want in life. He was successful in his career. He had a wonderful family. He was uh, doing well in his faith. And he allowed sin and rebellion to grow uh, to the point where he got into drugs substance abuse, and one night, while just coked out of his mind, he broke into a house and he killed two young women. And he went to jail for the rest of his life. And I've never met him, but the, the guy that I know who knows him will go visit him in prison sometimes. And when he first went and saw him after he was in prison, he said, what? happened and he said god took his hand off my life that he for years had been living in secret sin and yet he thought well god's gonna he's forgiving me this is okay and then at some point god said you know what i'm just gonna give you over to what you have wanted and he took his hand off and the wheels fell off and over a six-month period that led to that horrible night now, God's got such great, great redemptive work going on. And, and this guy has repented. He fully admits what he did was evil. He is, he is totally repentant of it. 
Um, he is doing the best he can with his life in prison, tutoring people, helping them get their GEDs, uh, people that have a chance at getting back out of prison. He's saying, here, let me pour into you everything that he has as somebody who is highly educated and has a, a lot of stuff going for him talent-wise. He said, how can I pour into you so that when you leave this place, you have a shot? Because he won't ever have that shot. And I know that's like the worst case scenario story. But I think that plays out over and over again is that people just think I can, I can go in for a little bit and then I'll leave. I can look in for a little bit and then I'll leave. And then there comes a point where the door is shut. Now somebody might ask, wait a minute, if every living creature went in there, what about the dinosaurs? If you can accept it, I have no trouble believing that there were dinosaurs on the ark. If you have a question about that, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. I'd be happy to set up a, a Zoom uh, video thing or a phone call or something. I'd, I'd be happy to talk through anybody's questions about this. But here's the bigger point that I think is true. For the non-believer, you need to know that the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God is open to you. But there will come a point where the door shuts. For the believer... For those who are in Christ, you need to know that God didn't speak to Noah every day, that there were moments that were mysterious, that there were times where I bet Noah felt foolish. I bet in the heat of the day as he was building that ark with his sons, he felt foolish at times. I heard God speak to me 20 years ago and I'm still working on this thing and I bet he felt foolish. I wonder if he felt foolish when God told him to go in and for seven days nothing happened. And maybe you've been living your life and you've been saying, I'm trying to do everything that Jesus wants me to do and it feels like nothing's happening and people think I'm crazy and what's going on. God has his plan. And it's easy to say we all need to have faith, but this is real faith. When we put our foot forward and we walk down the path that God has called us to, even when everybody else thinks we're nuts. Because we have encountered Jesus. We have encountered the risen Christ. And even if everyone else around us thinks we're crazy, even if everyone else around us thinks that we are the ones who are the problem, in a world full of violence and evil, in a world where it sounds like murder was commonplace, and you can just assume all of the other things that were going on too, and they think we're the problem. The door of grace is open to all people, old and young, women, men, people who don't know which they are. Every person, the door of grace is open to you until it's not. And for those who have walked in, we need to know that there are going to be moments, even though we are living in the grace of God, where we have mystery, where we have things we don't understand, where we have things that are harder to believe than other things, where we have things that are harder to live out than other things. And that is the great news, one of the things that I'm so thankful to be part of the church of Jesus because the Holy Spirit of God is available to us. And it's in those moments where we can cry out and say, Oh, Father, fill us again with your spirit so that we may walk in your power. Jesus 
made the way for salvation. Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the deliverance. Let's walk inside and let's stay inside. If you have any questions, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. I love talking about some of this weirder stuff. Who are the Nephilim? What about the dinosaurs? I'd totally find talking about all that. But that's all secondary because Jesus is the main thing. Let's respond to Jesus together. Let's pray and cry out to Jesus together. Would you stick around for a time of prayer? Well, now that we have spent time in God's word, we want to respond to him. He's been speaking to us. He's been ministering to us. Let's respond to what he's been doing. And we respond in different ways. Uh, the Bible says to worship the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And we've worshiped with our mind as we have opened the word of God and studied the Bible together. And we worship with our strength as we uh, give of our time and our resources. And if you want to give and support the work that God is doing here at this church as an act of worship, then you can go to our website, faithonhill.com backslash give. And we worship through prayer. Uh, we sing together on Sunday mornings. It's not terribly effective online. And so we emphasize a time of guided prayer. I encourage you to make use of the pause button. Pause the feed, pause the audio if you need to pray more over something, and then you can unpause and come back with us. So I'd invite you to enter a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you. Hands folded, hands raised, eyes open, eyes closed, sitting, standing, kneeling, whatever a posture of prayer is for you. Let's pray together over the Lord's Prayer. Holy Father, you reign over the heavens. Your dwelling place is beyond our comprehension. Holy is your name. Father, I ask that you would identify in our hearts right now areas and ways in which we have not made your name holy. Whether it be with our actions or our thoughts, with our mouths, with our ears, with our eyes, with our bodies, would you reveal areas where your holy name can increase in our hearts? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will is for righteousness and truth, for peace and not of evil. I'd invite you to identify areas in the world that you see around you where we want to see more of Jesus' kingdom come. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come and that we would have righteous leaders and rulers, that there would be justice in our court system, that there would be true righteousness, that there would be justice for those who have been oppressed, justice for those who have been harmed or wronged, justice for those who for so long have been denied justice. Lord, we pray that your kingdom of peace and justice would be established. And we pray for those who cry out for justice that you would hear their prayers. 
your will be done. And your will is for no one to perish. So Lord, we pray for those that do not know you, but we know them and you know them and they just will not bow their knee to you. We pray that you would reach out again in a fresh and new way. Soften the hearts of those who are hard to you. Call back those who have become wayward and they haven't given themselves to you as they once did. And I'm sure all of us listening, we have somebody we can think of, we have somebody we can name. I pray for my brother Zach. I pray for many friends who once walked with Jesus and now seem to be so distant. Name that person that first comes to your mind. Lord, we do pray that your will would be done in their lives. Jesus, you next instructed us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we do pray for provision for all who need provision. We pray for those who need healing, that you would heal them. Think of my friend Bob King that you would bring healing to his back. I think of the many who our church is praying for right now who have cancer, that you would bring healing to them, specifically this little boy Josiah, that you would bring healing to him. Lord, we thank you for good reports. This fellow Robert we've been praying for for cancer, and he's in remission. We keep praying for for Greg's brother Scott, that you would bring healing to him. We keep praying for uh, Dave's sister, Lord, that you would bring healing, that their daily bread, their need for that day is physical healing. We pray for them. You next say to teach us, forgive us those who have wronged us, those who have, who have, we have a, they owe us a debt. They've done something wrong. They've got red in their ledger towards us and, and teach us to forgive them, Lord, because you have forgiven us all of our wrongdoing, all of our debts, all of our wickedness, you have forgiven. Help us to have an awareness of that forgiveness. Help us to see the depths that you have gone to save us. Lord, thank you that you forgave us. Help us to forgive others. And maybe that's a thing for you. And if that's the case, just say right now the name of the person you need Help forgiving. Jesus, help me. Jesus, give me strength. Holy Spirit, fill with power. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There is strength in you. There is power in the name of Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit is still working through and in the lives of people. And we just need that more than ever. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for the work that you're doing and you will do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. May you go in grace and peace and in the power of God's Holy Spirit as you follow Jesus in your world this week.